Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 169. Thank you for joining us. Today, Bonnie and I are joined by Colby teachers Wes Stratman and Brendan Murphy. This week marks the first week of classes for Colby students taking online courses, so it's fitting that we sit down with two fantastic teachers. We'll hear about their roads to Colby Academy, their experience as teachers, and also get some tips for getting the school year off to a good start. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom of four lads and lasses, liturgical musician, popcorn, and podcast fanatic. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Okay, Stephen, what's a good word? Today I'm going with magnanimous. Okay. I don't know why. All right. But it's, it's just what uh, what comes to mind. Oh, I, I think that's I think that's ideal and uh, serendipitous to reference another word you've used before. Um, magnanimous is certainly a word that I associate with Colby and and the folks who work for Colby. This very this generosity and um, yeah, that's a great start. It's an end. I've seen that in action already this morning. I'm a bit all over the place and recording in a different setup. And um, the guys on this recording have been very generous to me and patient as I've been trying to get my wits about me. So speaking of the guys on this recording today, we have Mr. Wes Stratman, the chair of the math department and an online instructor for Colby, and Mr. Brendan Murphy, who teaches theology, among other things, for Colby. Welcome to the Colby cast, guys. It's good to see you again, Wes, and to meet you, Brendan. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Good to be here again. I'm looking forward to another conversation. Yep, Mr. Stratman, Wes was on a recording here in a group of, of folks a while back, and I'll link that episode in our show notes, and he got about two minutes to speak. So I'm glad he's back to talk to us today. We'll get to know him a bit better. And Mr. Murphy, um, Brendan Murphy, who both of whom, well, let's see, one of my sons has had uh, Brendan as an instructor and will again. And I, I'm not sure, I don't think any of my kids have had you, Wes, in class, but I'm glad to for the opportunity to get to know you guys. So let's start there. Wes, would you tell us about yourself and your background and your family, kind of how you came to Colby, those sorts of things? Absolutely. I'd love to. Um, I, uh, I've had roots in Catholic education uh, and public education as well. Um, I've worked at a community college level. I've worked a couple of years at a Missouri State Public School. Uh, I worked at a brand new uh, Catholic institution. Um, Missouri here, uh, where I live. Um, throughout my career, um, I've really dove into school culture, uh, particularly Catholic school culture has been always something that uh, has really, um, you know, helped me engage with the full student body uh, and the faculty and staff as a community of faith. Um, so uh, recently, this past summer, I graduated from the University of Dallas, uh, an online program in specifically Catholic school leadership. Uh, and throughout that course of study, I really made school culture um, kind of a focal point of, of my studies. And uh, I actually have added a new hat just recently. I will be uh, kind of overseeing the homeroom program here at Colby going forward. Uh, and I really hope to kind of put that, uh, put those credentials um, in, into good use here in the Colby community, which is also an amazing uh, community of faith, K through 12 and beyond to families and uh, other community members as well. So uh, that's a bit about my professional background. Um, I have three daughters and, and a beautiful wife, Elizabeth, and my daughters, Gabby, uh, Grace, and Gianna. 
Um, and they are um, a wonderful, a wonderful, crazy blessing in my life. Uh, and they actually are newly oriented to the Colby uh, family. They both uh, took, Gabby and Grace, my oldest two, uh, took some uh, boot camps from the summer program this this uh, summer and really have enjoyed it. So Good deal. Good deal. Those are great for getting just used to all sorts of how the online classes work and getting to know some of the Colby folks and having that sense of, okay, I know what this is about when the school year starts. So that's great. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It was, it was good for me as a teacher to see the student <laughs> side of it as well, uh, to see some of the, the beauty and the headaches that might come along <laughs> with <laughs> the programs yeah. that we've got. So that's true. You probably, you probably have heard some of the comments, you've gotten some feedback from students along the way, and now you can kind of see it in action yeah. yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I know what it uh, looks like now when students are saying they have uh, trouble with their technology. So, <laughs> yeah, yep. well, it's kind of part of it, but I, mean, I can uh, relate, especially here in the past few days myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Brendan, how about you? Well, I'm from uh, upstate New York. Well, where I live, we wouldn't call it upstate New York, the Finger Lakes area. If you live in the city, anything above the city is upstate though. Okay. Uh, and, uh, from a family of teachers, basically. It's kind of the family business. My parents were teachers, my grandparents were teachers. My oldest sister just retired after 30 years of teaching. Uh, my godmother was a nun who taught for 60 years. In fact, when I was in grad school, my academic advisor had been in her first grade class, she told me. So uh, it's funny, when I was in college, the one thing I did not want to do was teaching. And that's kind of what I ended up doing by accident almost. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, so anyway, yeah. So. My background is I went to public school growing up my whole life um, until I went to college. And I, when I went to college initially, I was there to be, I wanted to be general manager of the New York Mets. That was my goal in life was to run a major league baseball team. And my life changed after my freshman year as a Gettysburg college initially. And then after my freshman year, I got an internship at the baseball hall of fame in Cooperstown. And I worked for a great guy by the name of Jeff Idelson. He ended up being the, the president of the hall eventually retired now, but he had worked in Major League Baseball for the Yankees, and um, and I was working in PR with him there. And he sat down with me as a you know 19-year-old kid, and he's like, well, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, what I want to do? And he's like, he's like, that's a great desire, but you know, just so you know, what the, that looks like in real life. He said, uh, I, I worked 100 hours a week. I slept in my office. Every two weeks, I'd go make sure my stereo was still in my apartment. I showered at work. He's like, I had, I had literally no life until I got out of there. And my wife and I, my wife and I have known each other since middle school. We met, I was in seventh grade and she was in sixth grade. And we kind of reconnected that summer when I was having this conversation. And I, you know, I knew I wanted to have a family and be in the, I didn't want to be an absentee husband or father. And so it really was a little mini, I don't want to say uh, early life crisis. I was like, oh man, that's what I was planning on doing. And he recommended I change my major to English, and so I did, and I ended up leaving Gettysburg and kind of providentially ended up at the University of Scranton, the way I found the University of Scranton, which is run by the Jesuits. And how I found that was my wife was also transferring at that point, and she needed somebody to, over Christmas break, take her to her the interview and the tour of campus. Her mom couldn't do it. So I took her and I don't know why, but they let me sit in on all this stuff. Like I, I was just her ride. They let me sit on all the interviews. I'm just, I did the tour and I was like, uh, I had never even heard of this of University of Scranton, which is odd. 
I grew about an hour and a half away. My dad is a guidance counselor. But I fell in love with the place, and I convinced my parents to let me apply there. I let them know it wasn't just because Heather was going to be going there. I was genuinely interested, and it was a great fit. And part of that there, I mean, I was involved in Catholic campus ministry, Newman Society at Gettysburg. Um, I kind of reawakened my faith. I mean, my faith was always important to me, but not super important. I was one of those middle school students who didn't want to go to CCD and all that stuff. But my faith, like in my senior year, had really kind of taken off because a bunch of my friends had gotten involved in something called Young Life. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all, but it's kind of an evangelical group. And a lot of them left the church. And even though I wasn't like super strong in my faith, it did challenge me to kind of like start reading scripture every day um, and questioning, you know, having answers to questions. So when I was at Gettysburg, I had some good experiences there. And then when I got to Scranton and you had to take theology, everyone's required to take theology courses and philosophy courses there, no matter what your major is. It really kind of ignited a passion I didn't fully realize I had for theology. And so I ended up finishing with a double major. Um, and uh, I ended up working for the Diocese of Scranton for 11 years. Um, when I was hired, I, I, I said, you know, I really want to pursue graduate work at some point, but uh, not yet. I was totally burned out from like all, you know, transferring had kind of had a different credit system. I was just kind of burnt out and I didn't really want to go into grad work right away. Um, so the diocese told me, hey, if you come here, we'll help you when you're ready. And so uh, my initial job was I was in charge of retreats at the retreat center for four years. So after two years of spending most of my time with seventh and eighth graders, I was ready for some deeper conversation. And they, uh, so they let me, I, I ended up getting in the doctoral program at Fordham University. Um, I, so I was working full time and I was commuting two and a half hours twice a week to each class and back, doing a full workload there. Um, and I, my big, the real blessing there was to study with Cardinal Dulles, who was kind of like my hero, theological hero. He was still alive and teaching, and he played a big role in my wife's conversion. My wife wasn't raised Catholic, and that was just a great experience. And so for 11 years, I worked with the diocese. When I left, I was doing um, family life, marriage preparation, and adult faith formation. And that's one of those things, if you ever work at a diocesan level, when someone retires, they give you their job and their title. <laughs> And you can't print. I never had business cards made. You can't fit all that stuff on there. Um, <laughs> but I loved doing that uh, work there. Um, I taught in the deacon program, the university, my alma mater. I got to go back and teach a bit. And then um, how I got into the whole homeschooling thing and led me to Colby here a bit is I'd been there about 11 years and I was just kind of getting a situation where I, because of my degree, I was the only one in my department who could lead a lot of classes and meetings and things like that. And so our diocese is very large here in Scranton. It's uh, 11 counties. And I was just out late. I'd be coming home 9, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. You know, and they'd say, take comp time, but there was no time to use it because there was always work to do in the office. So it's kind of like I had it, but I couldn't do anything with it. And I had this kind of like after school special moment that I'll never forget with my oldest son, who at that time was uh see this is he would have been seven and i just can still picture he's on the stairs and i was going to the work he's like he's like i'll see you later dad i said no i'm gonna you'll be in bed you know i'm gonna be home late and he just started bawling and he looked at me and says i never see you anymore and it was a total like eye-opening experience for us like as a family you know my wife was home that was always our plan but she she had a background in development uh like steven actually she's the development director and she was working from home as a consultant for a local nonprofit. And right around this time was happening, she was offered a chance to do it full time. 
it with more flexible hours. So she had been doing homeschooling. Our oldest, we have five kids, I should say, eight to 18. Our oldest, who is the one we were experimenting on first there, just graduated. <laughs> He's going to St. Bonaventure University in a couple of weeks here. And so I basically flip-flopped and, and she was the primary and I was working part-time for a parish, but I took over homeschool. And so since you know, the last 10 years, I've been running homeschool. And for high school, we use Colby. I've been recommended to us by good friends of ours who had nothing but praise for it. And so we've been, we've been doing that, the homeschool track. And um, I saw the job listing last summer. I've only been with Colby a year. I saw the job listing applied. They hired me. I assumed I was the only person who applied. I, I actually mentioned that to <laughs> the chair of my department afterwards. I said, I said, I can, you can tell me now the year is over by pride. I was the only person to apply for this job. He's like, no, yeah, there are other people. So <laughs> I was just like, I kind of backslid in it. They needed somebody at the last <laughs> second. So um, that's how I, I got there. But yeah, I have five kids, uh, four boys, one girl. The girl is not the last one. People sometimes assume that she's our second oldest. And uh, being at Colby has been a real blessing. I have loved every minute of it. I'm sure Wes can testify to that. The people here are amazing. I, you never know what you're to expect when you meet people, but like the leadership here, very down to earth, uh, very likable. And the uh, year of the kids and, and Bonnie, I had your son. Uh, the kids really are amazing. Um, it's a lot of work, you know, and uh, but it's it's rewarding work and building those relationships with the kids. I was I was wondering, like, how's it going to be this? And maybe, Wes, you thought the same thing, like an online community. How is this going to work? How are we going to build? And it it that exists. I don't know how to put it. If you, you know, if any of the listeners have never participated in online learning, it really is a community. We really are. We, we care for each other. This, we build relationships with these kids. And it's been a real blessing to be here. Yeah, I, I do echo those same sentiments that Brendan was saying. You know, it's really amazing that even though we uh, really only have a grasp of how people look from the shoulders up, we really can get to know the whole person yeah. uh, and develop the whole student and really engage in, you know, collegiality with our colleagues and with leadership. And, and like you said, they're really good people, really down to earth. We have a lot of fun, too, uh, in building that community. So I agree. Good conversation and that genuine care for other people. It just is evident that authenticity that the that the Kobe folks have that extends to colleagues and families and potential families. It, yeah, it's that mag magnanimity, the magnanimous. Here. It's a good word. A good Great word. soldness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I I think I missed the West. I took off on you. I didn't give you a chance to tell us how you found Colby. How, how'd you come to Colby? It was really divine providence. Um, I was at a uh, public school um, for a few years, kind of while I was doing this Catholic school leadership graduate program. Yeah. Uh, so a really interesting kind of duality there, working in public education and getting a master's not for that job. Um, <laughs> I happen to have one of the best Catholic administrators I've ever had, though, at that public institution. So another little piece of the divine providence. Uh, and so kind of without knowing what I was going to do next, I decided not to um, come back uh, for a third year. I had been there for two years uh, because I was really craving that spiritual piece of the community building that I was talking about earlier. Um, and 
my wife, Elizabeth, actually had seen an ad on social media uh, to register children into the Colby program. And we had never heard of it before. Um, so she was telling me that I should check it out. Um, maybe they might have job openings and they did happen to have a job opening for math instructor. Um, so I, uh, I applied, I had no idea what to expect. Um, and you know, I, I kind of had to go through the exercise of doing a mock lesson online in an online learning platform, which I had only had experience uh, doing because of all the school closures, uh, which is what was going on um, while I was at public school. Uh, and so another, all these little kind of pieces fit together uh, to direct me to this this place, um, which I'm, I'm very grateful for. And I, especially looking back, uh, I can definitely see uh, how all these moving pieces were directing me towards the Colby community. And I, I couldn't be happier. It's a great place to be. Uh, and I really do feel um, solidly that God has led me to this place. I'm a little curious here. You've, I think you've both touched on this to some extent, but you, I remember coming out of a liberal, my bachelor, first bachelor's degree was a liberal arts degree. And so teaching was something that was like, well, a liberal arts degree. I think I can teach with with this. It may be, uh, but kind of for me, can kind of discerning that teaching was not my vocation. Um, but I, I'm curious for for you. When, when was it, or what was it about that process where where you you felt kind of a call to to teach, particularly at the at the levels that you're teaching now? I guess for me. I didn't really know that calling until I had already gotten my first teaching job. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of other people in my life knew that I was going to be a teacher way before I did. Uh, I, I had my first kind of teaching experience when I was a senior in high school. Uh, I was doing some tutoring hours um, that evolved into actually, instead of doing the tutoring, I went to the local grade school and I taught algebra one. Uh, to a group of eighth graders while the classroom teacher was working with the students who were behind level, kind of more individual, one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, and so I was lesson planning and teaching a class before I had even gone to college. Uh, and then it was 10 years later, um, four or five years after I graduated with my undergraduate degree that I got my first teaching position uh, and I didn't have a background in education. I had a degree in mathematics and statistics, uh, kind of like you were saying, Stephen. I, I thought maybe I could teach with this. I don't know. Maybe I could do all sorts of things that I didn't really know. Uh, it took me a few years um, to kind of see that calling. But it, like I said before, it was a brand new high school that was starting in the diocese. Um, so they were kind of looking for people with different types of backgrounds and not necessarily just truly uh, education because they were doing a lot of things to start this school uh, from the ground up um, and kind of looking for, for people with passion uh, for other things. And for me, it happened to be spirituality and school culture. And I got involved in the homeroom, the house program at that school. Uh, and that's something that I bring here to Colby as well. So uh, like I was saying before, I just really do see those themes of the Holy Spirit kind of weaving things into my life way before I know that I need to use them. And teaching 
is one of those major uh, components. Yeah, uh, for me, when I was a senior in college, the diocese um, of Scranton was starting a new program where a lot of parishes, and this is still the case today, a lot of our parishes don't have religious ed for high school students. It kind of ends at middle school, you know, once they're confirmed, we confirm in eighth grade. And they had come up with this idea where, hey, what, what if we created a program where local high school students could go to the university, be taught by college students uh, on Sunday morning, and then go to mass on campus? And so the director of the Office of Parish Life reached out to the theology department and said, can you recommend a male and a female student who you think would be relatable to kids, a good theology teacher? And I ended up being the, the guy that the department recommended. And I never thought about really teaching at that point. So I was creating, like Wes saying, creating lesson plans. Um, not, not every kid there uh, wanted to be there at that early on a Sunday morning. So like, how do you get people who are maybe, you know, reticent to be there? How do you get them engaged? How do you make it interesting to them? Um, and so that was kind of my start. It's funny though, like I said, when I was applying for jobs, I spent my my senior year, my uh, spring break, just interviewing over uh, lots of places. But I was pursuing primarily, I wanted to do like youth ministry, campus ministry. You know, uh, I did end up being in a retreat center initially. But I would get these people asking me, like these schools contact me. Hey, do you want to teach? Do you want to teach? I'm like, heck no, I do not want to teach in your school. Like, uh, and part of it, though, was not like I hated teaching like that. It was part of it was like an awareness on my part. I was 22 years old going into a high school with 17, 18 year olds. I still felt very much like they were my peers. I don't, and I, I was afraid interiorly, I think. Um, this is gonna make me sound much wiser than I really am, but interiorly or reflecting on, I felt like, what if I try, try to, to be friends with these people? Or like, you know, I'm, I'm not, a, I was worried about the teacher peer relationship because I, I felt like I just got done with high school. So I ended up with the retreat work, but then what I found as I was doing was I was teaching. I wasn't in a classroom where all these retreats I'm designing and leading you know, from six-year-olds to 31-year-olds. That was my age range I was given. It was a very odd age range, six to 31. It's a very specific age. Um, <laughs> I realized, you know, that I am creating content. I'm creating material. I'm teaching it. And then when I finished my degree, they moved me downtown. And they, there's a program called the, it used to exist, called the Pastoral Formation Institute in our diocese, which is like every Catholic school teacher had to take these six theology classes, no matter what they taught for, as part of their contract. And they asked me to re kind of revamp a lot of those classes that kind of were just outdated and start teaching them. And so I was just kind of thrown in the fire. They had a morality class that they hadn't taught in about three years because they told me they didn't have anyone they trusted to teach it. And so here I am teaching morality everywhere around the diocese, you know, um, and just doing that, I realized, wow, this is I actually enjoy this. I was getting good feedback from people like I felt like a nervous wreck up there, but people are like, oh, I really enjoyed this. I'm like, you did? Like, I didn't say that to them, but interiorly, I'm like, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I just learned that it was it was a passion I had as I kept going. Like, I think it helps that I'm teaching a subject that I'm interested in. You know, I, I love theology. I'm I could talk about, even if people weren't paying me, I guess I shouldn't tell Colby that. Even if they weren't paying me, I'd talk about theology uh, because it's something I'm interested in, you know. Theology, baseball, either of those things I'll talk about passionately all day long. And so to be able to teach it is a, is a help. I could never teach math. So I, I give Wes a lot of credit. That would that would not be my thing at all. You know, once we got to like long division, I think I'd pass or something like that. But 
uh, it's something I didn't know I was going to really enjoy until I kind of accidentally got into it. And then I realized, wow, this is a lot of, uh, I don't want to say fun, but it, um, it was rewarding. It was very rewarding work to do. I think that's a very interesting, uh, um, little, little snippet that Brendan talked about, uh, in, you know, you go in very, very uncertain when you're a, a new teacher, uh, as to whether you're, you know, doing anything well at all. And then you get feedback from people that say you are doing a good job. I remember my first year teaching, uh, I had, I had uh, maybe 80, 90 students. Uh, and one of them who was probably doing one of the worst, um, of all, as far as grades go, uh, you know, had a C plus in the class and told me I was her favorite teacher. And that kind of blew me away. First of all, I was like, well, it can't be that you're, you know, because you're doing very well. Uh, and I was just very surprised because I was the most inexperienced teacher that she had. Uh, and just little, little things like that, that kind of, kind of blow you away out of nowhere. Uh, it really keeps you, keeps you grounded, but it also helps, you know, Hey, maybe I am in the right place. Maybe I am doing something that I'm supposed to be doing with, with my life. And, uh, so of, of all the things Brendan was talking about, uh, you know, that was the one little snippet that I pulled out and I was like, Hey, I've got an experience like that. Yeah. Yeah. We have talked a couple times about online math. Let's talk for a second about how the online math classes go. I think I know I've encountered it myself that question, like, how does that, how does that work if you, because Colby classes meet, well, the math classes meet twice a week, right? And then there's an additional math lab folks can take, students can take. For those of us who are accustomed, like, Matt, we do math every day, rain or shine, like, we do, you know, that's just how it is. So how does this, how, how does that, in your experience now, teaching online math classes, tell us about that, how, with that different schedule, how that tends to go? Absolutely. Um, Coming in, yeah, I, I didn't really know exactly what to expect as far as that goes. Uh, I was used to being in a brick and mortar school where I had students um, coming in before school every day, students staying after school every day, finding me during breaks in the day, lunch periods or academic like uh, academic periods, I guess, um, or more free time uh, during the day. And we don't have that specifically. I don't have a physical classroom that students know I'm going to be in that they can just drop in. Um, but I think we do a good job, uh, not me, someone before they get to me, does a really good job of uh, teaching and training the students to advocate for themselves uh, and, and to contact teachers when they, it, not just when they're having struggles, but when they have any sorts of questions. Uh, and I think that we, uh, have developed a really good program in the math department uh, that was instituted well before I got here. But uh, now I have the caretaker role of that program where we have uh, a lot of self-activity in the um, kind of asynchronous piece of our courses uh, where through um, our learning management system, once they submit homework, uh, students have a chance to look at the key and uh, grade it themselves and then reflect on it. And uh, kind of the last part of their homework assignment, doing it is the first one, uh, evaluating it is the second one, and then providing their self-reflection and their feedback uh, on their homework. Every single homework assignment is a key piece of our whole system, six through 12. 
and I think that really helps uh, kind of um, supplement where uh, they don't have as much a chance to, you know, catch a teacher, um, you know, in passing. Uh, they, they do a lot of that self-reflection and it makes it more efficient uh, answering questions in class or in an office hours when they do have a chance uh, to connect with me and other students. So um, I think that that is kind of a key part of it, figuring out how to use all the, the gifts of technology well. And I should definitely mention that the Colby families are essential in providing that support in the asynchronous piece because they can provide that uh, instruction either directly from uh, the parents or to get outside help. Uh, math tutoring is very, very common. It's where I got my start in education as well. Um, so that is another piece that is uh, really important. Uh, and, and it really highlights that we are partners in education, the institution and the family. Well, and Brendan, I would love to hear you talk more about working with high schoolers, teaching them theology, what's that like? Yeah, well, I find the students to be very um, responsive, participatory. Now, I tell them right off the bat, day one, I say, look, if you're in the room, I'm going to call on you. I don't wait just for people to raise their hands. Um, I think that helps make sure that people have done the reading and, and all those kinds of things. Um, so I had a professor, the scariest class I ever took in my life was a a class as an undergrad called Jewish Approach to Ethics with a guy by the name of Rabbi Shapiro over at the U. And I think there were about 17 people in the class the first day. And then he started rattling off asking questions week two and people hadn't, didn't know and they hadn't done the reading. And he was not thrilled with that. And by week three, there was about six of us left. And But I ended up being, even though it's the most terrifying class I ever took, um, it really made me, it was the best class I took because it taught me how to be prepared, how to you know, to answer things on the fly, to reason through things. And so I have kind of always brought that into when I teach, like, like if you're there, I'm going to call on you. So they know they can't hide. Um, and I don't expect them to always have the right answer. That's okay. I told them, I just appreciate honesty. Like, if you don't know the answer, that's okay. And I try to just be honest with the students because some of them, it is trickier. You know, we sometimes you think because someone was raised Catholic, they know all this stuff already. That's just not how it works. I mean, theology has its own, um, you know, its own language, its own uh, methodology. Like, you know, they've always known numbers. That doesn't mean they're all going to be great at math either, right? You know, some kids struggle, some kids are, uh, you know, adept at it. Um, I tried to, my slides, and I didn't really know what to compare it to just coming in new. Like Wes, we had to create kind of a, a, a practice one. They did send me a practice lesson that someone had done. And it was, it was an old one. And I was just like, I, I was kind of took note of what I would change. Like if I was a student, what would I want differently? And so I do use a lot of slides and I do have a lot of images on my slides as I'm going through because I find that that engages the students and keeps them uh, locked in better than if it's just a, a slide with text. And it's just like, here's a giant block of text. Advance to the next slide, more giant text. And I find that that gets conversations going sometimes because I can reference things. I can use something humorous on there. and. Uh, it just really loosens people up, I think, in my experience anyway. I get kids to participate who maybe aren't, like, crushing it, like, grade-wise, but they are they are doing their best. They're showing up, and that's all I'm asking for. You know, I always tell them, I'm like, your best might be different than someone else's best. All you can do, control, is that you do the work, and we'll go from there. And I, I find I get really good questions 
Um, it's interesting though too. Like each class is a little bit has its own personality. Like I had one class last year of tenth graders where it was just like we had inside jokes and everyone's just like it's just like this. There's all sorts of stuff going on in chat and things that ref, you know references back to uh, previous things I would say that they would call back to. And others were more subdued. But we always had um, you know really good questions. And that part I, I told them I never mind going on a tangent or you know us going off if the questions are good. And it's fascinating because, you know, I've taught in one form or another now for 22 years from the parish level to the university level. And these kids would ask me questions I'd never even thought of before. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's really good. And I have a no, I think this is something they've said to me in the past a couple, several times. I have a no made up answer policy. That is, if I don't know the answer, I don't pretend to know the answer. I'll tell them like, hey, I'm 75% certain on this because of other things I already know. Or other ones, I'll be like, I'm not sure at all. I'll get back to you, because my experience with theology in particular, right, is if you if I give them the answer and it's wrong and they find out it's wrong, well, now you kind of lost credibility. So I always try to be honest that hey, I'm still learning. You know, that's a great. Lots of people have said that, but Michelangelo, that's one of his famous quotes. I'm still learning, even when he was like a master at what he was doing. And I let try to let them know that I'm a student too, and that seems to kind of put the guard down. I think a lot of teens are afraid of getting answers wrong and looking foolish. So um, I try to put everyone in a position to succeed. And that does seem to encourage kids. Like if they, if they're wrong, I tried to see where they're coming from and be positive in my response to that. And then that encourages that kid to not shut down. And they, I find that they just keep coming back and, and ans asking questions. And yeah, I, I find that some of the kids really, really know a ton of stuff right off the bat and other ones, uh, you can tell it's like, wow, I didn't know that before. And it might be something that to me seems like kind of simple, but I'm glad that if, if they didn't know it before, that I'm glad they know it now, you know? Um, there is a thing at Colby where students can nominate teachers for like teacher of the month. And we get these little emails and these are the best. I just know West, you get these little like confetti things come out in your email when you, when you open it. And there's <laughs> comments in there from the kids, but you don't know who they are. It's all anonymous. And I, I got one at the end of the year, so I have no idea who it's from, but it meant a lot to me because it said, coming into this year, I was really struggling with a lot of aspects of my faith. I had a lot of doubts. As a result of this class with you, like I feel my faith is stronger. My relationship with God is better than it's ever before. Like, so stuff like that is really helpful because I don't know who that kid is. And um, it just gives me hope that I'm, I'm, whatever I'm doing, however I'm presenting it, it's working. I try not to take for granted theology, you know, the material in theology can change your life. Like, yeah, there are things my own kids will say to me, how am I going to use this in real life? You know, like that kind of thing. Well, theology, you do use it. It's, it's all applicable to real life. If it's being taught well, I think it is all applicable to real life. And so I try to make connections with that as well. Yeah, I, I was a public school child myself. And so I, I think... I certainly came from this background. Well, I remember being told when I was young that you either go to school or you're a truant and the family's getting in legal trouble, you, you know, for, for that. So it's, it's, and I remember at one point looking at a part of my school and they had like barbed wire fences, which was strange because I grew up in rural Wisconsin, but they were to keep us in, not to keep 
other people out sort of thing. I don't, I think it was accidental that this happened to be the case in a small area, but I mean, especially when, when, I, when I've been with Colby or, you know, I've been, you know, homeschooling things for my entire life where you realize, you know, this is what a blessing we have to do some of these things, right? I mean, to be able to do theology in, in the way that we do it in Colby, or even just have a wonder of mathematics that you can do. I mean, we're so blessed in this country and especially to have such wealth and such um, free free time and freedom to, that we can dedicate the first 20 years of our lives or whatever just to education. But that doesn't come through. And as I, you know, per, certainly as I reflect back in public education, I had great teachers who instilled this wonder and got me thinking about things. And I still remember, you know, 40 years later or whatever, what they were teaching me very clearly. Yet there's other things that are just gone because I was just reading it or doing it because I, I had to. So I, I, I think this is, yeah, it's one of the wonderful things of teaching. I think when you can, we can do that, when you can get somebody's mind working on those things in a way that they're exploring them for themselves, not just checking the boxes off. Okay. I completed algebra check, you know, that, so it's, it's always amazing to me with teaching how how they, you can stir up actually the kind of the hearts of these young people to get them make to actually have some have them learn something which they wouldn't have actually done otherwise I think it's an amazing thing at Catholic institutions and Colby's philosophy is like this as well um, that they're not looking for teachers who fit in very specific boxes with certain degrees in education from teaching colleges and things like that. And I think um, like Brendan talking about his experience as a college student, having to teach high school students and make sure it's engaging enough that they get into it because there was no administration or uh, office that he could send students to if they were, you know, disruptive or whatever. So, I mean, I'm sure that experience was really formative in uh, his teaching philosophy and, and really knowing that he has to engage students first before getting into the nitty gritty of the content that he's teaching, you know, and um, I see so many teachers that we have that don't fit in those nice, neat boxes. Uh, but that's the beauty of the, the faculty that we have here. I'm glad you got that feedback. That's great. This episode will come out towards the beginning of this 2023-24 school year. So do you have any maybe one or two things, each of you guys, do you have a couple of thoughts in mind for getting the school year off to a good start? I know you're both involved in the homeroom program um, and in your own families and going through school years, you know, what, what are a couple of things you guys either do in your households or would offer to students as let's, let's attend to this at this point in the school year to set the stage for a good school year? Well, I don't think I have anything earth shattering in that regard, but That's you know, okay. it's a, a, a small thing. Like, I would say is never underestimate psychologically for a student the importance of new supplies for school every year. Mm. Now, what I mean by that, I'm kind of thrifty, right? So if I buy my son, who really talks to me in this 300-page notebook, and we went through a whole year, and I looked through it, and he's only used 27 pages. The thrifty side of me as a father is let's rip those 27 pages up, and let's use the rest of this notebook, right? Um, but, you know, it can be hard transitioning from summer to, to school time. And I find the kids, like when I say, hey, let's go get new school supplies. 
they get more now suddenly they're excited about school and it's such a little thing like to go and pick out their own notebooks to pick out their own pencils and you know whatever they need uh, i would just encourage parents hey they're not walmart sometimes has like 10 cent notebooks it's crazy i don't even know they must be losing money i don't know but you know let your kids get new supplies it's a simple small thing but for our family i just noticed a huge psychological like switch from summertime to now getting maybe enthusiastic about school time uh the other thing as a homeschool family from our that i could never do this without because we do traditional homeschooling like we we do our high school kids use colby we do the traditional track just because of our schedule like it's hard for our family schedule to lock in a specific time my wife is invaluable i, I think having a team approach to homeschool her gift is um because she's a development director i think Stephen, this is probably one of your gifts too she's very organized She's very plans that things out. She was just telling me the other day we drove past Staples. She's like, my little nerd heart loves Staples. And she totally does. She plans out the whole year for our family of the academics week by week by week, breaks everything up. And that just makes the school year so much easier, uh, I find, instead of just kind of like seeing, oh, I'm going to do this many pages today or these many pages, you know, whatever. Uh, I think having an organizational some sort of approach uh, is, is really helpful because even if you have those days, which we all have, where someone's sick and they can't do school or a doctor's appointment comes up or, you know, um, a car breaks down, you got to go to the mechanic and, and you lose part of your day. Having at least a, a, some sort of outline for the year, it can help you see like, okay, well, we can make that up here. You know, we'll do half of that this one. And in my life, if I, I'm like a absent-minded professor, kind of like mad scientist when I'm doing school stuff. Like my desk, when I'm getting ready for a class, there's papers all over. It's like organized chaos. But my wife, we really complement each other. And I know in my family, it, it, we would not have had the success. We would certainly have given up a long time ago, I think, on homeschooling if it wasn't for her organizational thing. So that would be my two um, recommendations. None of them earth-shattering, but don't skip on the, the new pencils and, and notebooks. It really does make a difference, and uh, you know to have some sort of some sort of organized game plan heading into the year because you know there's going to be wrenches thrown into the work you know into works, and to have some sort of structure that you can um, you know you can uh, find your rhythm again if you need to. It's great suggestions. They don't have to be earth shattering to be very very useful. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and I love staples too. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think just little things is, is important. Um, like we said, nothing earth shattering, uh, just establishing those routines of good habits, uh, as well as building in really important things, um, that maybe we don't need yet that we will need when we get to February. Uh, you know, um, things like making sure you have time built in the schedule, uh, that are, that are taking breaks, uh, even if it's, you know, if you have two back-to-back -back online classes, for example, we have a nice 10-minute passing period, uh, which flies by uh, sometimes. But if you've got three or four classes in a, in a row or something in a block, making sure you're taking those passing periods to get up and take a walk, uh, go outside, get some sunlight, um, and, and establishing those routines early uh, in the year so that, you know, it's it's second nature. Um so th things like that, uh, taking time in your schedule to uh, build in prayer time. Uh, that's something that I'm always bad at up front. Uh, so I'm always scrambling um, to, to 
and not not scrambling to fit it in, but scrambling to shove everything else out of the way because I know I need to build prayer time uh, in in my days every day. Uh, hopefully, going to be better at at doing that first thing in the morning. But first thing in the morning can be kind of crazy trying to get uh, a bunch of children all dressed and ready to go and fed and uh, <laughs> ready for their school day. But yeah, just so those little things, building in routine um, time that is not necessarily the uh, primary academic time, uh, but things that will definitely supplement uh, the academic time up front. I definitely like some of these things for me with building kind of the excitement of getting, it's, I mean, some of the things you're mentioning, because I, I remember early on in my public school, they kind of getting excited, like with the new school supplies. And usually we had, a, that was the time my mother gave us new clothing, you know, and it's like, oh, the friend that I, that I haven't seen all summer, I'll get to go. And, and I mean, in addition to all of those sort of minor, you know, small things, you know, what, you know, the, the supplies and stuff, but it's it, the excitement about some new material, some new wonderful ideas here at Colby that you, you haven't, you haven't got to, to go through before. And now you get to spend time with people who all other people who are excited about them as well. I think that's, I always, I always find as a homeschooling father that that tends to be my, my role. I think as my children get older, it's, they're talking about something. It's like, wait, you're talking about this. Tell me more about that. Or, or I, do you, did you read about this? Or you know, then all of a sudden there's a long conversation and there's, um, I'm, I end up finding more books to read this way because my children keep reminding me of things that I've forgotten. But yeah, that seems important to, to kind of approach it with kind of the wonder and excitement as we're getting ready for new things. Yeah, for sure. And it, we, we have pointers from Colby on what is needed for school supplies, of course, but it's nice to kind of be able to craft our own list of <laughs> the things that we're going to need for our homeschools and even online school. Uh, one of our first years of homeschooling, it may have been our very first. We ended up doing school supply shopping at Walgreens of all places. I'm not real sure how that happened. I think I saw an ad or something. And anyway, we ended up with a hula hoop as part of the deal. And that was excellent for indoor breaks, like you're describing, like get up and do some hula hooping. And it that thing was great. So there's <laughs> a fun memory thinking about the fresh school supplies. Of course, I love the school supply shopping. So anyhow, oh, these are great. There's so much wisdom and experience there and and truth to help kind of build up the excitement of a fresh start in a new school year. And for those who are new to the Colby community, just kind of get to know you guys a bit better and have at that point of connection as they're settling in. And so I really appreciate this time we've had to visit like this. I hope you guys will come back and visit with us here soon on the Colby cast. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bonnie. And thanks, Stephen. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.